Good morning, everybody. The scripture I would like for you to look at with me is found in Matthew chapter 28. These are the last words of Jesus before his ascension to the disciples. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16 reading through the end of the chapter, which is verse 20. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples." of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's a disciple? Each of us are called disciples. There were two references to disciples in the Gospels and the book of Acts. One was the original 12. The other is to all Christians, that everyone is to be a disciple. We need to define what is a disciple. Let me give you a couple. A pupil a learner, a follower, is the generic definition of what it means to be a disciple. Now that definition can apply to anybody. Not Christian discipleship, maybe at all. It can be to a philosopher. It can be to any kind of a guru. That's the generic meaning. More closely to a Christian disciple is this definition. And it, again, can be generic. But one who accepts the views of his teacher and is an adherent both in belief and practice if we don't know what an adherent means, it's sticky. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it simply means to stick fast. It's someone who sticks fast to his teacher in both belief and in practice. Here's a second definition, specifically Christian. Disciple of Jesus is one who believes his doctrines, rests upon his sacrifice for us, partakes of his spirit, and imitates his example. I have a lot that I want to say today, so I'm going to do my best to try to um, stick to my notes and not meander. 
what are some aspects of Christian discipleship? Several. One, foremost, is personal. What do I mean by that? Jesus' fundamental question that he asked his 12, but he asks us all, who do you say that I am? Now to the disciples, he first said, who are other people saying I am? They said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Ezekiel, some say you're Elijah, you're a resurrected prophet. There's a lot of opinions out here. Jesus then said, yes, but who do you say I am? Discipleship then to Jesus is primarily and deeply personal in this sense or these different aspects. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? That's a question I have to answer. Second, I am personally called. Jesus calls and invites us to be disciples. Third, I have to personally decide whether or not I will commit to be a disciple. That is a personal decision. God himself won't make it for me. No other person can. Others can influence us. Even God, of course, tugs at our hearts, draws us toward him. But it is still my choice to be a disciple or not. Discipleship is personally maintained. Yes, we have the help of the Holy Spirit. We have the help of the fellowship of believers. We have the help of ministers of the gospel who I trust are fulfilling their God-ordained calling as unto God. But in the end, if my discipleship is to be maintained, I have to do it. No one else can do it for me. I have to. A second aspect of Christian discipleship since Jesus is the Lord, God omnipotent, of the kingdom of God that has come to us, he is the Lord. It means he is to be obeyed absolutely. There are no exceptions. If I'm a disciple, he is to be obeyed without reservation. Second, loyalty to him. I want you to hear this. Loyalty to Jesus supersedes self-interest of me, the disciple, family attachment, now, I'm not saying that to be a Christian you abandon your family. But Jesus himself said, 
this is strict. This is hard. This is a hard saying of Jesus. If you don't love me more than you love your mother, your father, your wife, your children, your possessions, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he said that. I didn't say that. That's not some church or preacher cooked up doctrine. Jesus clearly laid out the requirements for every single discipleship or would-be disciple. You love me more than anything, anybody else. Loyalty to Jesus supersedes all social customs, worldly authorities. I'm to obey every single command. I'm to take up the cross. I am to serve. He said, take up your cross and follow me, which implies, of course, it implies two things. I must die to self. That's one thing that that clearly implies. But second, it implies suffering. We will suffer. All who would live true to Jesus, Paul said, will suffer persecution. If the world doesn't bring persecution to us, the church will see to it that they will. I mean the fake church. There's always been a true church within the church. And the trivial, flippant, superficial church will see to it, if the world doesn't persecute us, that they will. We're in that today. There are some assumptions of discipleship. One, that discipleship is intended to be developed. Discipleship usually starts small, simple, often the initial disciple is quite ignorant, underdeveloped. There is a goal of discipleship of full development. That's what growth in grace is all about. That we are to be learners that are always learning, adding to what we know, what we've experienced. Our faith is to deepen. Our knowledge is to deepen. Our experience is wider. Notice this. The disciples, the few, the 11, Jesus says in this passage we read, met him at the mountain he appointed them to come to. And it says, 
Some were doubting. You can be a disciple, but I don't mean this <laughs> insulting, but be somewhat childish, immature, pygmy-ish. There's such a thing as pygmy disciples. Know very little. God understands it, and he fully expects it initially. But if that disciple doesn't grow, there's a problem. It is assumed that a disciple grows. Peter said, to you, he said, who are babies, and this is a command, he said, you desire, you seek after, you pursue the pure milk of the word of God that you might grow. If we bring a newborn home from the hospital, if they don't develop rapidly an appetite that is continued, we, we go to the doctor, we go to the emergency room, we do something that's not normal. A brand new baby disciple is assumed that they should have an appetite for the things of God and it's expected that that appetite will produce growth. No one's happy. No one's pleased. No one's satisfied if my children don't grow physically Mentally, emotionally, we assume that. And it isn't normal not to. That's an assumption of discipleship. Here's a second assumption. Really back of all that I am saying here today and back of everything that Jesus said about discipleship that Peter, that Paul, that John, that Mark, that Luke, everyone said about discipleship. And I wish I, I don't have time to read all the scriptures. Discipleship can be forfeited. That is an underlying foundational assumption to every exhortation. Watch and pray, Jesus said, lest you enter into temptation. All of the hundreds, thousands of warnings in Scripture, beware, Hebrews says, lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Paul makes a master case in his letter to the Corinthians, the 10th chapter, he said, everyone 
of the people of Israel were baptized into Moses. It didn't mean Moses was their savior, but it means the system that God gave Moses of sacrifices, ceremonial cleanliness, and following God's commandments. He said every one of them were baptized into Moses. Second, he said every one of them ate of that heavenly bread, spiritual bread. Third, he said every one of them drank of that water from the rock and that rock was Christ. They ate the bread of heaven. They drank of the water of the living water of Christ. They were baptized into, which means initiated into. And Paul says, but most of them fell and were destroyed in the wilderness. Why? He said, because of unbelief. Because of rebellion against God's commandments. Discipleship can be forfeited. Judas was labeled a disciple. At some point, there must have been something about him that Jesus identified. He's a disciple. John 6 Three times in a conversation that takes up most of the sixth chapter of John, Jesus speaks, he said, to my disciples. And he says to them, I am the bread that came from heaven. Of course, they started saying, well, I thought you were Joseph's son. What's this come from heaven business? Jesus further said, if you don't eat of me, the bread from heaven, you can't live. If you don't eat of me, you'll die. His disciples, it says, grumbled at him. Then it says, Jesus was aware that his disciples, he identified them as his, were grumbling about these words. He continued to press it and said, not only if you don't eat of my flesh, which is bread from heaven, but also drink of my blood, you have no part in me. At this, the grumbling accelerated. And it says, many of his disciples went away and walked with him no more. Discipleship is forfeitable. I've told you before, and I won't get off into it again, sort of. But it's an underlying issue every single time we talk about. Fighting the good fight of faith. Resisting the devil. Don't fall into sin. Don't return to sin. It, always lurking in the background 
is the majority Protestant evangelical position today that your discipleship can't be forfeited. But it's a lie. It's a lie. The fundamental doctrine is willful, deliberate sin will not separate you from God. We've heard that before. If we were eavesdropping in the garden, we would have heard the serpent tell Eve that. That's where that doctrine comes from. And I know that I have to be self-controlled. It's a little difficult. If I can distinguish, and I can, I absolutely despise that doctrine. I hate it. I've hated it all my life. It has destroyed the landscape in America, especially of the Christian church. It has wrecked it. And so, how? We now have disciples who defy, well, claim to be disciples, who defy everything we just cited as the definition of disciples. Disciples who don't walk after him. Disciples who don't do what he says. Jesus himself encountered it. He said, why do you call me Lord, but you won't do what I tell you to do? It's fake. It's fraud to say I'm a disciple, but I don't obey him. Total fraud. Everybody today, well, I won't get too far off. There's too many examples of sight. We'd be here for a week. But everywhere you go, everybody, sports figures, everybody, oh, I'm a believer, my faith, I'm a person of faith. I hope they are. But look at their lifestyles. Some of the very same, I'll just won't give you specific names, but look at the Super Bowl. Oh, everybody in the Super Bowl, every single player is a person of faith. Of course, they're hog-stinking drunk the next day at the celebrations with their girlfriends with whom they have children. I'm a disciple of Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Oh, judgmentalism. Hate. No. Truth. Truth. Jesus said many. This scares me. It keeps me on edge. It keeps me on my toes. Jesus said many at judgment will say, Lord, Lord, I preached in your name. I prophesied in your name. I did mighty works in your name. Jesus will say, get away from me. I never knew you. And the word there is approved. Doesn't mean he doesn't know your name. He's got your social security number. He knows it all. I never approved you. 
Discipleship is forfeitable. That's why we're urged to advance in discipleship, to grow, to increase towards what Paul calls the full measure of the stature of Christ. And he says, as we look in a mirror beholding Jesus, we, our appearance, spiritual, is changed into his likeness. Jesus is the mirror. Earlier definition of a disciple is someone who imitates his master. We cannot profess to be disciples and not imitate him. I read just the other day, we, you see it all the time, all kinds of church, what, parachurch organizations that survey things and take the pulse of the church in America and so forth where church attendance is plummeting. And we're, you know, gleefully told that by the world as often as they can tell us. <clears throat> Something like of the, they'll, they'll divide them up. What's 65 and older? Those are the people that, you know, don't even know how to get out of the door because, you know, they're old. And so the things they believe don't really matter. And then you take the 40s to whoever, and then you take the 20-somethings. And as you go younger, the percentage goes higher of those who say that they believe in Jesus, they label themselves as Christians and as disciples. But they don't agree, up to 65, 70%, that extramarital sex is wrong. Homosexuality is condemned by Scripture. I don't believe that. And you call yourself a disciple. A disciple sticks fast to his master's teaching and his example. Period. Period. Even on an earthly level, even if it's, you know, a bunch of fourth grade boys with a treehouse in the backyard, they've got a system to define who's part of the club. And if you defy the rules, what? Well, they, they take the steps off the tree and you can't get up there. You're out. This isn't unusual. I mean, we understand that. Why doesn't Jesus have the right to say, this is what a disciple is. That's what I expect. He does have the right. And he will, he will exercise that right. Continuing with assumptions of discipleship. God's aim, of course, is not only that we do not drift away, fall away. Paul told the, I'll throw in one other scripture, Paul told the Galatians, he said, if you have returned to Judaic law-keeping as a means of salvation, he said, you have become estranged from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Discipleship can be 
forfeited. Now, something else about forfeited discipleship. I can repent. Probably one of the most frequent phrases in the Old Testament as well as the New is return to the Lord. Return, 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 return. What, is, what does return mean? Well, it doesn't mean you're gone. Yes, it does. But I can return. <laughs> the backslider, God says, return to me and I'll redeem you. I'll restore you. The Bible's absolutely filled with exhortations. Return to me, O Israel, who you, he says, have deeply revolted against me, but return, and I'll redeem you. I'll gather you from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, and I'll restore you to me in my land. Overshadowing the warnings of loss are the exhortations to rely on the mercy and grace and compassion of God. Come back to me. Come back. Return to me. All of that, though, assumes... I've left. But there's hope if we do. Aims of discipleship, after assumptions of discipleship, aims. Here are several of the aims of discipleship. One, that we be grounded in biblical and theological knowledge. Now, I don't mean that you have to know what it means. You have to have gone through seminary or whatever. But we need to know some theology. We need to know what the faith is. Earnestly, Jude says, earnestly. And the word earnest comes from a word that it can also be translated, agonize. You get too emotional about theology. Jude said, agonize. For the faith once delivered unto the saints. That includes debating. It includes strong emotions at times. When there was in Acts 15, it says, much dispute. Over what? Over the teaching of many that you needed not only Christ to be saved, but you also needed to add the old Jewish laws, don't eat bacon, don't, you know, all that stuff. Worship only on Saturday. All of the things that Peter himself said in Acts 15, he said that was a burden on our fathers that we couldn't bear. It was a yoke on our necks. And we've been freed. Why return to that? And Paul made the statement in Acts 15. He made the argument, listen, you make anything other than Jesus necessary to salvation, you just reject Jesus because Jesus is all sufficient. If we need Jesus and, then Jesus isn't good enough. So, 
They fought. They argued. It's, you should. How can we as lay people, how can we argue or discern, debate, defend the faith once delivered unto the saints if we don't read not only the Bible, but good Christian books. And let me just, since you already know that I am, you know, off the rails, I think 95% might be a low estimate of Christian books should, should mostly be used for starting fires in the fireplace. Most of it is utter drivel. Now, not dribble. That's a little side thing. A lot of people say, it's just dribble. No, it's not dribble. It's drivel. V. It means useless. Much is nothing but emotional button pushing. Nobody likes to read church history. Theology, but that's the only thing that keeps me from unwittingly, unknowingly swallowing false teachings. False teachings are everywhere. A continual instruction that Paul wrote to Timothy, a young preacher, to Titus, a young preacher, and told them to pass it on to every one of the pastors they trained is warn them against false doctrine. What we believe and assume in our hearts, we end up practicing. False doctrine leads then to errant behavior. Evil communications, King James puts it, Paul said, evil communications corrupt good behavior. False doctrine is not indifferent. Oh, yeah, it's okay. They believe this way. Yeah, it doesn't mean that everybody who does have some false thinking, I'm not talking about essential matters, they deny Jesus, but hey, they're going to heaven. No. We can have differing ideas, some erroneous thinking, and still make it to heaven. Let me just throw this in. I know an awful lot of people who repeat and claim to believe the notion that you can't forfeit your discipleship. And I don't agree with them at all. But many of them that I know are going to go straight to heaven. Because they don't live that way. I know people. I know them personally. I've extended family members who will say, once you're saved, you're always saved. But they don't live like that. They avoid sin like the plague. They don't deviate from walking with God. They read their Bibles and pray every day. Fortunately, they live beyond and above 
their teaching. God sees that. We have to remember that. But it doesn't change the fact that if they truly practice what they say they believe, it's a fraud. When they get to heaven, I am certain there is a, it's a nice, I'm sure, it's nice, it's well furnished, it's comfortable, it's enjoyable, but there's a re-education camp that'll be inside the gates of heaven where they'll be sent to straighten their heads out before they're turned loose in the general population. Anyway, John Wesley, founder of the Methodists, who was a stickler of all sticklers on doctrine, still instructed his people, his preachers, write, and I'm using 1700s language that he used, he said, write tempers, mean attitudes, motives, behavior. Write tempers are more important than write opinions. I can hold some iffy opinions, but if I live better than them, God counts that higher than a fallen mind. Okay? Now, aims of discipleship grounded in biblical and theological knowledge. Two, stability. Stability ought to be a growing, a disciplined, stable Christian life is a clear sign of maturing discipleship. The up and down, the in and out, the flopping around, the unstable, as James said, double-minded man's unstable in every way. He's like the wind blown, or the waves blown by the winds. We don't want to be like that. If, we, if we're an old disciple and we're still like that, it's not good. God expects us to become stable, solid. Discovering our place of service in the kingdom of God. Not everybody is a great soul winner. Not everybody is capable of being working with the youth, teaching class. We've all got our places, and God gradually reveals that. So I kind of know this is where God wants me to function in his great vineyard. Deeper concern for people which is both believers but also unbelievers. A solid, growing, advancing, developing disciple will more and more recognize their place in encountering unbelievers, people who don't know God, the importance of how they speak to them, the importance of how we live, and having the right words to say we're to be, do you know what John calls us? It's a Greek word from which we get facsimile. We're supposed to be little Xerox copies of Jesus that he sends out into the world to be examples of him. That's the word John used. Be examples. Reflect Jesus. Finally, 
Discipleship always, it begins with conversion. It must lead to and be built on a foundation of a heart-purifying experience. Jesus everywhere. Remember, he said to the disciples before the day of Pentecost, he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember, John said, I baptize with water, but that man, Jesus, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's two baptisms we need. Discipleship, discipleship of the full developed kind is simply not possible without forgiveness of sins and purification of our hearts, entire sanctification, cleansing of the nature of depravity that we're born with. Those that that element is chilling and hindering and stunting to growth, to full discipleship. Now, I've got two minutes to give us the avenues of developing discipleship. Read your Bible. Wesley, a great quote of Wesley's, read and pray daily. It is for your life spiritual life. Otherwise, he said, you'll be a trifle all of your days. You'll amount to nothing. You cannot, you cannot live physically if you don't eat and drink and nourish your physical body. Failure to read our Bibles and pray and have a set time that we fiercely defend will hinder us at the very best and keep us a child. St. John talked about children, young men, fathers. There's the development that he expects of us. Can't do it without reading your Bible and praying. You simply can't. There are a lot of dear people that will say, you know, I've just never been much of a reader. I don't really, I'm not much. Become one at least with the Bible. Job said, I consider your word more valuable than my basic necessary food. Read your Bible. You'll never amount to a dime if you don't read and pray. There's that personal where God talks to us, warms our hearts, gives us direction, lifts our hearts, encourages us, directs us. You, you, we're, we can't. That's our umbilical cord to God. You can't cut that and expect to survive. Bible reading, prayer, church. Now, we, we, we stream our services. We post them on uh, the website for the growing thousands of people that tune in each Sunday. When we were closed for a couple months, whenever it was, a couple years ago, when COVID was scaring us all to death, we didn't have church. And 
we recorded services through the week to an empty sanctuary and then played them on Sunday. And I would be, during those eight weeks or whatever it was, I would sit with my wife and she would bring up on the computer the service. And so I would be, of course, deeply impressed with my own sermon. I'm sitting there in pajamas, I'm drinking coffee, my feet are up in the recliner, and listen, even though I'm the preacher, I told her, I said, boy, this could get pretty comfortable fast. Unless you're homebound, unless they're mitigating circumstances, which there surely are, don't get caught up in that. And that has been across our country. Virtually, there's hardly any church denomination, whatever, that hasn't reported a decline in attendance as social media, which I'm grateful in one sense, of course, that we have it. But people sit at home in the recliner, kids are playing or doing whatever, don't get into that. Those of you out in TV land who are seeing this, don't let yourself get into that. If there's no reason, we need to be Everyone has said to me, too, there's something about physically looking into the face of another believer, my friends, and fellowshipping. You can't do that from your recliner watching something on the video. I'll just get in all kinds of trouble this morning and get it over at once. Serve God. Work in the kingdom of God. Wherever there's needs, wherever your gifts fit, wherever God leads you, it doesn't matter how insignificant you might think it is. I'm serving God. The dear souls in the nursery, they're serving God. Suffering and bearing a cross. There's suffering that builds discipleship. I know I have to quit, but I, when I call on you and I visit with you and I take phone calls of this and that going on, so often I, I'll pray and I'll say, dear God, it's just trouble, heaviness, worry everywhere. Family members, just stuff. We go through that. But it builds disciples. It strengthens us. It's hard. We would not choose it. But afterward, Hebrew says, when we are, we've gone through hard, hard times, afterward it yields the fruit of righteousness, a crop. Finally, spiritual warfare. Fight the good fight of faith. Paul told Timothy, lay hold on eternal life. Discipleship is not fun and games. It's a war that we're in. I'll close with another quote from Tozer. He said, the kingdom of God and the Christian life of discipleship is a battleground. But most of the church has turned it into a playground. You can't become a full disciple on the merry-go-round and the monkey bars of a playground. We're in a war. That's part of discipleship. I have to quit.
Let's bow our heads for prayer. Pray first for the nursery workers that they won't become embittered. Father in heaven, we came into this church this morning to meet with you, the one true living God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to learn about you, to grow, looking for help, comfort, guidance, whatever that might be that each person desires, Lord, this morning or is in need of. But now that we have come into this church, we're about ready to get up and go back out into the world into the darkness, into the challenges, into the the troubles that we face each and every day just as human beings, Lord. But as we get up and go, may we simply have this confession that we are disciplined disciples. Not the discipline in being in trouble and being corrected, but the discipline in our behavior to walk with you and the discipline to just let you determine what a disciple is, and then we follow that. We adhere to it as we were taught this morning. So, Father, as we get up and go, may we go by your grace to your glory and we be a church full of disciplined disciples following our Savior in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.